0: Hawkeyes podcast, Trent and Biz with you with another week of Game in the Books, Iowa. A 38-14 win against Miami of Ohio. Biz, Kinnick Stadium, you got to see it in its full lore. The new end zone now complete. Game one in the books and a good one for the Hawkeyes. And not just
1: another addition for us, Trent. This is a happy number 100,
0: I believe, isn't it? Ah, yes it is. There, There should be some fireworks going on or something hundred episodes, man! What a waste of time.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, but that Boy. Uh, I put him to work this week, and he really outdid himself for number one hundred. I figured uh, if we're going to celebrate, we better we, we better go full full nerd, and let that Boy really uh, dig deep. So we're bringing we're bringing the time machine back for, for number one hundred today, Trent. So nice. Getting get ready for some really really good Hayden Fry quotes to uh, to celebrate our hundredth episode. But, 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 yeah, good, good opening win for the Hawks. Uh, really, it was basically become your typical Iowa opener. You I know, mean, you look back at our last five years; they've all been pretty, uh, pretty much the same as far as home openers. And Kinnick, uh, slow starts uh, enough to get everybody a little bit worried, and then cruise to a, a relatively comfortable uh, win against an inferior opponent. That's, that's four straight home openers where we've won by twenty plus. So uh, good to see because in the past, you know. Used to be uh, home openers were a little a uh, little, little shakier for the
0: Hawks. Good to see. Uh, you mentioned kind of some of those tense moments out there. Iowa really controlled the game. Some silly turnovers in there, some mistakes, you know, latent drives, things like that. But you know, even after Miami of Ohio cut it a couple of times and got, well, within tw- uh, 10 there in the second half, had the lead for a while at 10-7, never really felt nervous in that one, at least from my perspective. How about you?
1: No, I was never really nervous, and clearly it was, obvious from about five plays in that we were a significantly better team than they were. I will say, uh, Blake Gabbert's brother was, uh, impressive. Mm-hmm. You know, the times that they, uh, scored, it was not because we were just, uh, letting people run free. He re- he had three or four passes that were, uh, right on the money and, and, just, just beat us into some tight spots. So uh, no glaring, glaring, uh, issues that I think, uh, need to be addressed, but so obviously a few concerns and, and areas that we can we can improve on.
0: So let's uh, go through here, talk a little bit about each of the units that we saw. Let's start with the offense, and I guess start with the quarterback position, Nate Stanley. Looked like Nate Stanley. He made some good throws, missed on a couple of others, nothing, I think, anything to hit the panic button about, but still some of the same things we've also seen in the past, a couple of bad throws that cropped up there. Your thoughts on Stanley at quarterback?
1: I thought he looked like he was just in, in complete control. I, you know, He looked like a third-year starter. He looked like he was uh, – he knew what he was doing. He got us into the right plays. He, he you know, 70% completion late, that's probably as good as you're ever going to get for Nate. So, I mean, like you said, he is what he is. He's always going to have those four or five frustrating throws a game where he just isn't very accurate. But as long as those throws are uh, landing on the ground and not in other people's arms, I guess we'll live with it.
0: The running back position, I was incredibly impressed late in the game by Goodson, but Makai Sargent looks like his game has gone to another level. like what we saw out of Torin Young. Some of those concerns that maybe people had about the running back position, those alleviated for me at least on Saturday.
1: Yeah, uh, Sargent was really impressive. I just think he's a guy. He looks so much more assertive than he did early last year, and he looks like a guy that just has a really great grasp of our offense. You know, his. One of the things we talk about a lot, Trent, is it, it, once you build, once you get the trust of our coaching staff, you're, you're usually in pretty good shape. And I think he clearly uh, has gained that trust because he's shown he can, you know, he can run, he can catch, he can block. He, you know, that one play, I think, middle of the third quarter there, where he, uh, he, you know, he picked up a blitzer and then turned around, and, and while uh, Stanley was about to get knocked down, he. Had, dumped it off to him and gained 10, 15 yards on that. I mean, that was kind of, uh, you know, to me, Sergeant to a tee. He, He's, i uh, T. I'm really impressed with the things he's – how far he's come in a year considering, uh, you know, he's only been on campus for, what, 14 months now.
0: Mm-hmm. He was really good. Uh, and how about Goodson late in the game? He comes in in the fourth quarter. Game was a 10-point game at the time they put him out there. Training wheels are off. It, it looks like Tyler Goodson, as many people anticipated – He's going to be out there. He's going to be part of this rotation and see plenty of carries this year.
1: Well, he's a little bigger than I thought, too. I mean, everybody kind of compares him to Wadley, but uh, I think he's already bigger than Wadley ever was. He's a little taller, and I think he's probably got a little more weight on him. You know, The goal always with Wadley, I think, was to get to, what, 185. And I think he's probably already over that number. So, yeah, I think he's. Uh, coaching staff came out and said it, I think, yesterday. You know, this is not a four game the the shirt year for him. It's, uh, he's going to play as
0: much as he can. All right, let's go over to wide receiver. It is a group that certainly one through five, I think, is the deepest that I was ever had. I, I went back yesterday morning and went through an exercise, kind of taking a look at the groups of receivers, going back to the early Ferrance era, and there's never been a time that they've had five guys that I think you can feel confident with. Guys developed throughout their careers and were on the roster maybe early on. You go to the 2002 team, they had C.J. Jones, they had Mo Brown, but that was it. There wasn't a whole lot there. He had the tandem of Clinton Solomon and Ed Hinkle and, and a few others, DJ K and McNutt, but never before have we seen a group of five receivers, I believe, like we saw. Am I getting a little hyperbolic here?
1: Well, the interesting thing is I heard yesterday that the coaching staff is saying that Desmond Hudson is going to burn his red shirt as well, so they must mm-hmm. really be high on him. I just I, so thought... I, Maybe you're talking six even because, you know, I at kid's day, I did not see him being somebody they were going to burn a shirt with. He, he certainly has talent. He's a big receiver, but it looked like he was a guy that didn't run the, the smoothest routes yet, but maybe we're looking at a group of six even. But, you know, yeah, ten, receiver, ten people caught balls on Saturday, and we targeted eight guys at least two different times on Saturday, which uh, that's about as balanced as you can possibly get. And, and I think uh, – Hopefully, you're going to see that a lot this year. I mean, all four, all five of those guys, there's no reason they can't end the year with you know 25 catches or more.
0: That would be nice to see. It's a really good group. We saw Bayer out there at the tight end position. He had a couple of catches in the game. Weeding's doing his thing, being a blocker out there. And then we get to the offensive line. It all changed 15 snaps into the season when Alaric Jackson went down to the injury, plugged a lot of different guys, went with a lot of different combinations, and even with all that changing, Overall, the offensive line looked pretty good, I thought.
1: No, that's as good as I've seen them play uh, from a run-blocking perspective in, in a long time. And you know, I, I don't think anybody would have guessed that Kyler uh, Shute was was going to be uh, that much of a factor in Week 1, but he certainly uh, looked the part, at least, against an interior opponent. We'll see how that pans out when he, we start playing against a little more physical teams, but... Uh, he could be quite a story because I don't know if you saw him talk yesterday, but mm-hmm. he is uh, got a bit of a hillbilly to him.
0: I Love that. Looks like an offensive lineman, and uh, you know a lot of people said if he was actually six foot two, what he's listed at, he certainly would have had some offers coming out of high school. He says he's six foot two in cleats, but fun-loving guy, still redshirt sophomore, and another success story. Small-town guy going out there for the offensive line for the Hawks. Good to see. Wurst was outstanding, and, and Tyler Lindebaum, I mean. He might deserve his own podcast. To have this guy and more than likely have him for the next four years, being obviously an offensive lineman, an interior offensive lineman. You don't see those guys leave early for the NFL. He was outstanding. He's fast for our offensive lineman. Got out there on the on the screen that they had set up to um to sergeant, I believe it was, early in the game. He just he is the embodiment of exactly what you want at that center position.
1: And the Iowa coaching staff doesn't let all their centers uh get out and pull and lead screens and things like that. You know They did it with Daniels. Uh, they did it with Terrence way back in the day occasionally. But it's not something they trust all their centers to be able to do all those things. And, and they've uh, trusted him to do that from day one, which leads me to believe they, uh, they think he's going to be or may already be really, really good.
0: So let's jump from the offense over to the defense. Take a look up front first, the defensive line. In fact, before we get into that, Biz, we had the conversation throughout the spring and summer, I just never could wrap my mind around the four two five being the base defense for Iowa. Play it at spots, absolutely. To be part of what you do, I got that. But to think that they were going to be a base four two five defense, I just I didn't buy it. I never bought it throughout this whole time and it took what seven snaps before they went away and went back to the four three. Well,
1: I think more than anything we see is Seven snaps already. Said into the year, how much we're going to miss Amonti Hooker? I mean, of the four guys that left early, I think he's maybe the hardest to replace. He just made that position look so easy, and obviously, it's not. Um, There's a lot to to process, and you're asked to do a ton because you're guarding the slot receiver. You're asked to come down and play and and you know run defense. You know you're you're basically a a linebacker and a D back all in one and. You know, that's asking a lot for DJ Johnson, a redshirt freshman, to be able to do that. So I think you're right. I think it's something that we'll certainly see from time to time. I think when we play the, you know, the Purdue's of the world, you'll probably see that in there a lot. But uh, I, I think it'll definitely be used less than it was when, when Hooker was out there and they and they had you know complete trust in him.
0: DJ Johnson certainly don't want to throw him away. Uh, a guy that certainly has plenty of talent, but he got lost a couple of times back there. And, and there's going to be changes. I, Mer- Merriweather was a couple of times out of place. It's defensive backfield. Geno Stone's good. Ojemudia, he's solid on one side. Hankins is good on the other. But still some pieces to figure out overall with this defensive backfield.
1: Yeah, but I think it also goes back a little bit to the fact that Gabbard just played really well, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we're not going to see a ton of great quarterbacks in the Big Ten this year. I mean, I'm not saying the Gabbard kid is, is the best we're going to see, but he's certainly middle of the pack. And I think he's probably going to be better than than four or five different quarterbacks that we see, and that includes the quarterback we're likely going to see for Rutgers this week. So, so I mean, part of it, you give him credit. I and mean, I thought a couple of times we, we defended the, the passes pretty well. He just put it in the right spot. So, I, I'm not as worried about the D-backs, I guess, as some people have heard. Um, you know, are they a, a work in progress? Yes. I don't think they played poorly. Um, to me, the bigger concern on the defensive line is just the lack of, of pressure from the D line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just kind of took for granted last year that we were going to wear people down with our rotation of eight guys, and the D line would, you know, they end out with last year, 35, 36 sacks. Which, as we've talked about in the past, that doesn't happen very often in Iowa football. And so, I think realistically, we we're probably back in that you know 25 to, to maybe 30 sack type team this year. and you know, they did a really good job of scheming off of A.J. FNS's aggressiveness. They ran a lot of plays kind of right behind him with some screens and some draws and things like that. And you know, He was in the house on Saturday, so it kind of reminded me of Matt Roth a little bit, how teams kind of schemed against his aggressiveness uh, his senior year as well. So right. FNS has got to make some adjustments on a few things, I think the D-line will, will be just fine. But if you've got a concern on the defensive side, I think it's probably more that than the D-backs.
0: You know, and, and another concern that jumped out to me in the fourth quarter, there was a point they cut on TV away to both Golson and him standing there as they're waiting for the play for Miami of Ohio. Both guys had their hands on their hips, and it harkened back to a decade ago, the 2010 season, Clayborne and, and the rest of that group back on the defensive line, but they didn't have much depth, and because of that, fourth quarter leads dissipated because they weren't able to get pressure. They have to find another defensive end. they got to find a couple of defensive ends to help those guys out to get them a break so they actually have some gas left in the tank in the fourth quarter. And If that doesn't happen, that's going to be a big concern. Inside, though, a defensive tackle, it does look like they're building depth. Nixon had a pressure early in the game, thought he played well. Cedric Gladmore, I thought, played his best game as a Hawkeye, made a great play on a swing pass early in the football game, coming out of play. We've never seen Cedric Gladmore make a play like that. He was out there. He was involved. He was making plays not just in the middle of the field but around the field. Liked what I saw from the defensive tackle position. Now find some death at de- defensive end.
1: Well, last time well, the D line, uh, you know, good for Money Jones also to see him uh, mm-hmm. get in and, and get a sack. I mean, that guy is—he's uh, got to be a top five Iowa player all the time as far as just enthusiasm. I mean, the guy—that guy—that guy loves life, I and mean, you mm-hmm. watch him play on every uh, special teams. It, it, him and uh, it was Terry Roberts were having a. Every kickoff, they had a race to see if he could get to the back of the end zone every time. And, and, and that's a guy that you was know, the fifth year in the program. He could have easily been bitter and, and left a long time ago. And instead, he is clearly one of the uh, you know emotional leaders. And, and you can see how excited everybody was when he got the sack. So it would not surprise me if he ends up being maybe that third defensive end and, and gets in a little bit more uh, in certain games. Is he going to uh, – be a run-stopper, absolutely not. But uh, he's shown he clearly has the uh, the speed and the talent to get to the quarterback.
0: Linebackers were good. They were solid. I thought Colbert played well. We saw Welch doing his thing. He was your pick to have the most tackles on the team this season. Certainly could see that coming to fruition, of course, after the move back to the 4-3. Saw a whole lot more Nick Neiman out there. So linebackers are, are the linebackers. Seth Benson, he also popped a little bit out there, both special teams. And when he came into the game late, they got a good one there. We've heard a lot about Dylan Doyle. The other guy, though, linebacker that played last year is a true freshman, Seth Benson. Looks like they're in good shape for the future linebacker.
1: I really like Colbert. I just think he's a guy that he's got that extra burst, I guess. I mean, he he had three or four plays where he had to come a long ways to make tackles. And, and when he gets there, he's just such a sure tackler for a, for a young kid. So, you know, he makes his share of mistakes, too, because he's over, overly aggressive sometimes. But I guess I'd rather you be... Uh, Overly aggressive and tentative at his position, so I, I was impressed with him. But I, I think he's a guy that uh, is only getting it better because he's another guy that really hasn't you know, hasn't been in the program that long, and, and you know, another guy that didn't play football, you know, all of his life. He's you know, kind of like uh, Merriweather. Um, they're both guys that didn't play until kind of later in their high school career. So you know, there's certainly a plenty of talent on the defense. It's just got to give a uh, you know, there's going to be some bumps in the road. There's going to be some mistakes in the defensive. You know, back seven, especially this year, but uh, we'll live with those mistakes if they can, uh, you know, continue to be as aggressive as they were on Saturday
0: night. And finally, special teams. The good news, Iowa only had to punt one time. The bad news is it was a hideous looking punt from Michael Sleep. Dalton get, didn't get to see much of him. Hopefully, we don't have to see much of him this season.
1: Yeah, he had the wind at his back on that punt too. Oh, really, I mean, there wasn't oh, a, there wasn't a ton of wind, but there was it was definitely going that direction and. You know, it was, that punt came kind of straight at us, and uh, it was it was not pretty. I think they actually they were they were generous in giving him the thirty yards because I think it actually went out of bounds a few yards farther back than than they gave him. So uh, nowhere to go but up for him.
0: Can only hope.
1: And uh, did, did, kick... you ha- did you happen to see what his replacement did for Arizona State? No, no. Google it when we get done.
0: Okay. Um,
1: it's Matt Turk, um, the old. Uh, Hunter for the Giants, yeah. it's his. it's his nephew that took over at Arizona State, and he set the uh, NCAA record with uh, the highest average for punts when you have at least five punts in the game. He averaged like 66 yards a punt and punted like seven times.
0: I'm looking right now. Five punts for 315 yards and averages 63, including a long of 75. There it is. Your man, Michael Turk.
1: We may have have taken the wrong Arizona State punter. Can we trade?
0: (laughs) I don't think that's allowed. I do not think that's allowed. All right, Biz. So a look back at uh, Miami of Ohio. We'll take a look forward here at Rutgers in just a little bit. Best surprise, though, of week number one. What was the one thing that you weren't anticipating that you saw on Saturday?
1: I I think the best surprise was was probably the fact that uh, Goodson played. Uh, I didn't think he – I just didn't think we would – go past those three running backs this year. And so I I was surprised to see him play, and I like it because, you know, all three of those top three are, are obviously juniors, and we got to start gearing somebody up for the next generation. So that was my most pleasant surprise was to see him play and, and, and play well.
0: For me, it was the offense in general, kind of some of the things that we've gone through these, here, these last few months about the run game. I don't know if you can say it's fixed after a game against Miami of Ohio but it did had the elements you hope for, and I thought all the running backs looked better than what we saw a year ago. That wide receiver group is deep, and they're targeting a lot of different guys out there. So I, th- I just think the offense in general, it was what I was hoping for, even when they weren't scoring early in the game and it was tight, still felt good about what they were doing offensively. That was the biggest surprise to me, just how good and fluid they look week one. Well, plenty of
1: balance on offense, that's for sure. I mean, there's... We have a variety of ways we can meet you, which isn't always isn't always the case that I offense.
0: All right. On the other side, I mentioned a little bit earlier, my biggest concern is that defensive end finding some depth back behind Golston and Epinesa. That, to me, still sticks out. Going forward, that, I think, is my biggest concern just because so many late losses. I was going to be in so many tight games this year. They need those two guys playing their best football in the fourth quarter.
1: Yeah, my, my biggest concern was, you know, as good as the offensive line was, we still are just not good in short yardage situations. Yeah. You know, we were what three for six on, on third and three and last or last, which is right in line with where we've been. Uh, I saw the stat was that last five years we've averaged like 51% on third and three and last, which is 13th in the Big Ten, and we averaged something like 1.8 yards a carry, which is by far dead last in the Big Ten. So, you know, for a team that prides itself on being physical and being you know, you know, tough in those situations, it really hasn't uh, panned out. So, you know, as part of that's nitpicking because I thought the offensive line looked really, really good, but that's you know, there weren't a ton of concerns or, or worries going forward. It was a pretty, pretty good game all around. But that's to me my biggest concern is short yardage situations are still not uh, ideal.
0: Iowa, Rutgers this week. The Rutgers come in after a victory against UMass in week number one. They got down fourteen nothing and twenty one seven to a just brutal UMass team, came back, got the victory in that one. It's Rutgers. It doesn't feel quite like a Big Ten opener here, but that's what the schedule says that it is. And Statboy Boy did some legwork for this week.
1: Yeah, there, there's some, some good stuff here, Trent. This is another classic example of I gave Stat Boy a very very narrow assignment, and he went crazy with it. And and sometimes when he goes crazy with it, I, I kind of uh, try to pare it down and. uh Limit some of his uh, obscure information. This week was was definitely one where he sent me so much good stuff that I, I struggled to pare it down so we could keep it to uh, you know 40 45 minutes uh, total here. So there's some 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 just absolute gold from, from Hayden Fry that you're going to get into. But uh, my assignment to him was, was very simple: just go back and look at the uh, 20 years of home opener Big Ten home openers or Big Ten openers in general for Kirk Ferentz because um, Obviously, we've heard from people this is the earliest Big Ten opener ever, but I guess that what I wanted to see is, is it also the easiest one ever in the Kirk <laughs> Ferentz era? So that was my initial assignment, and so we'll start there, and then we'll get into the, the we're, we're stat boy, well, we crazy. So you ready to start with the uh, Kirk Ferentz Big Ten openers?
0: Yes, yes, I, I'm very interested to go in here. This is over the last 20 years, openers in the Big Ten, and at least, again, we're getting into just uh, what we think about things Feels like a lot of these games started the Big Ten schedule on the road.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, Trent. But the first thing you find out when you get the list from Stat Boy is it's proof that the Big Ten hates us. <laughs> I mean, we have gotten just screwed by the Big Ten over, over the Ferris era. And the 20 years that uh, 20 home openers, not including this year, so the 20 from 1999 to 2018, we've had to go on the road in 12 of those 20. We've had to play top 20 teams in 10 of those 20, and we've had to play against top 18 teams on the road to start the Big Ten in seven of the 20 games. <laughs> so the Big Ten has not done us any favors with the schedule. So they finally uh, threw us a bone this year with Rutgers. So, But on the flip side of that, Trent, when you start with some tough uh, Big Ten openers, you do get to memorable wins in the process. You know, you look back, you know, some of the best years in, in uh history have started with some, some very memorable uh, home open or some very memorable Big Ten openers. You got 2002 at Penn State, where we got a huge lead, tried to give it away, and then won 42 35 in overtime. You've got the legendary 2009 game at Penn State with the Claiborne blocked punts and, and the 21 10 uh, win. And then you've got 2015 at Wisconsin, the 10 to 6 slugfest. So, uh, you know, in the years that we've really uh, done well, we've started with some huge, huge Big Ten wins on the road. But uh, overall, considering how big, bad the Big Ten has screwed us, uh, Kirk Francis has done pretty well. He, he's uh, 10 and 10 in, in home ten, in Big Ten openers, and we're 11 and 9 against the spread. So we, we've we've generally done okay. So. But um, so again, the Big Ten hasn't done us any favors, but, but we've we've handled ourselves pretty well. So on the flip side of that, Trent, is Rutgers the easiest Big Ten opener that Ferris has ever had?
0: Well, I would say yes. It has to be, right?
1: Well, not according to Vegas. So, uh, and, and we are a degenerate podcast. So Vegas is what matters, Trent. So one other Big Ten opener had a uh, more favorable odds. Back in 2006, we played the. Uh, the mighty fighting a and I who went two and 10 that year. And we were 21 point favorites, So slightly bigger favorites than this week. We were, uh, we're 19 and a half or 20 point favorites against Rutgers. So, but uh, other than that, 2016, there's only the one other time in the Ferentz era where we've even been double digit favorites in an opener. And that was against Rutgers Yeah, 2016. The other game, the other time we played Rutgers in our uh, illustrious history of this rivalry, we were, Favored by 13 at uh, Piscataway, so only the third time in 21 years that we've been double-digit favorites. So, um, and this is the the third year in a row actually that we have started at home. So the the Big Ten starting to balance things out a little bit for us. The last two, unfortunately, they made us play uh, Penn State, and Wisconsin uh, as the home openers. So. Like I said, this is for the first time in a long time the Big Ten has thrown us a bone and given us a a favorable home opener.
0: All right, so uh, Rutgers is uh, one of the prevailing notions there. Playing Rutgers is a good thing. The teams in the East get to play them every year. Well,
1: starting in two thousand twenty-two, we get to play them every year. Also,
0: right, don't we? that's right. Yeah, that's that's the uh, protected rival, if you will. It's been Penn State here over the recent history. It'll be Rutgers going forward. Good thing.
1: I will get ready to call them our rival, I guess, Trent.
0: We'll try. We'll try. They need to uh, maybe hold up to their end of the bargain or not. That's fine if they continue to be bad. So, home op- a big 10 openers there. Anything else Stat Boy was able to unearth?
1: No, that, so that's it for the, the initial assignment. But do you want to get into the uh, where Stat Boy really uh, earns his pay? Oh, of course. All right, Trent. we well, got to hop back in the time machine. We haven't hopped back in the time machine in a while, so... We brought it back to the 100th episode, and we've got a hot back almost exactly 40 years ago, because we're going to discuss uh, Hayden Fry's first game as a hot coach. It would be 40 years ago this Sunday, September 8, 1979, which until this week was the earliest home opener that Iowa had ever had against a Big Ten team.
0: The earliest, so, okay? Yes, yeah.
1: So. September 8, 1979 was the earliest on the calendar. And the funny thing is, before we gave the 1979 game, the 70s, it was just standard. that We pl- opened the season against the Big Ten team. From 1971 to 1980, we opened our season against the Big Ten team 10 years in a row. And in fact, in 1971 and 1978, we didn't even start our season until September 16th. So uh, things have changed a bit in 40 years.
0: Yes, they have. All right different, and uh, in the future here, the next couple of years, I believe Iowa's season opener will be a big tenor against Indiana when the Hoosiers come to town. I think that's two years away.
1: Well, that's a good segue, Trent, because on September 8, 1979, can you guess who he played? Indiana? And who was their coach?
0: Lee Corso.
1: Lee Corso and the Indiana Hoosiers on September 8, 1979. So, let's dig into that game, because it is phenomenal some of the Hayden Fry quotes leading into his first game as a coach. So before we get into the quote, I'll talk a little bit about the Hawkeye roster. The first thing you realize is Hayden was left with a little more talent than Kirk had when he started here. That 1979 team had some talent on it. Uh, Andre Tippett, Jay Hilgenberg, Pat Dean, Bob Stoops, um, you know, Reggie Roby was an incoming freshman that year. You know, But all those other guys, Tippett, Hilgenberg, Stoops, Pat Dean, all those guys were uh, were holdovers from the previous regime. So had some talent, um, and you'd think Hayden would go into that with some optimism. But are you ready to hear some absolutely phenomenal quotes uh, uh, that Hayden had going into that season opener?
0: Oh, of course. I-, I love anything with Hayden. Bring it on.
1: Oh, you're going to love these, turns So first of all, he commented that – he anticipated a really tough season from a win-loss standpoint for this team. <laughs> but then when you get into the defense, Trent, it was obvious that this was not a defense that uh, that Hayden was excited about. He commented there were some major concerns. Started off with, our and these are exact quotes, our defensive line is very suspect. <laughs> very our suspect. Def- oh, that, and it gets way better. Our defensive backfield gave up 21 touchdown passes last year, which might just be a world record. No, oh. so, Again, a different era. 21 touchdown passes now would be considered a a, a pretty good defensive year. But, oh, absolutely.
0: Uh,
1: 21 then was a world record. In general, the defense, Trent, three-word quote, we're very slow. And then it gets into the strength of the team, or, or lack thereof. We don't have a lot of strong kids and we don't have much speed or quickness either. (laughs) So then his summary of the defense, this is about the slowest football team I ever saw. That's your head coach describing the game before game one. So uh, not exactly oozing with confidence going into the opener. So on the flip side with these quotes, Trent, you do find out it's amazing how uh, ahead of his time, Kirk or uh, Hayden Fry was in 1979. This is talking about the offense and it sounds like Mike Leach almost. So he's he, talking about the offense. He said, we're going to be a pass first run second team. We may be liable to pass on every down. Hmm. We'll, we'll try to isolate our best player and create mismatches all over the field. Also, I'm not afraid to go to the bullpen in a hurry. If our quarterback struggles <laughs> and then you get the famous Hayden quote to end it all. On offense, we will scratch where it itches.
0: Yes.
1: So that, that quote was before he ever coached a game. So uh, down on the defense, but uh, positives on the offense going into the opener. So so uh, do you remember how that game ended?
0: Didn't they blow a big lead in the game, something like that?
1: Yeah, and that, that's putting it lightly. They were up 26-3 to at the half. Mm. Had scored touchdowns on, on all four of their possessions in the first half. And then in the second half, the wheels just absolutely fell off. Uh, went from 26 to three to a uh, last-minute loss, 30 to 26. So uh, maybe some of uh, some of Hayden's concerns on the defense uh, came to fruition in the second half of that game. It
0: certainly appears that way. So the wheels came off for that. And hey, when you're going up against a mastermind like Lee Corso, things like that are going to happen. That one, Corso's own kid was a wide
1: receiver on that team, and they. Uh, a young Cam Cameron was the backup quarterback for Indiana
0: as oh, well. Wow. long time ago, long, long yeah. time
1: ago. So, so the slowest football team I ever saw couldn't quite pull off the opener for uh, for Hayden. So.
0: <laughs> a tough one there. What else you got?
1: That, well, that's it. So that's that's the uh, that, that's the uh, the time machine. But uh, really, like I said, some some. Can you imagine a? Uh, a head football coach coming in today and saying some of those things about their team, talking about the fact that uh, we don't have strong kids, we don't have speed or quickness, uh, that their defensive line is very suspect, and that they anticipate a tough season from a win-loss standpoint. Uh, if anybody said that now, they'd be run out before they even coached a game.
0: Yes, they would. He A different era, no doubt. The perfect era, though, for Jay Hayden Fry. Biz, before we get out of here, let us once again go through our picks. A good week for you. I, on the other hand, struggled in week one.
1: Well, you should have went 50-50, but Oregon Oregon uh, blowing it for you really, yeah. really hurt you. But, yeah, I think I went 3-1, and, and I'm up 200 bucks. So uh, i got nowhere to go but down at this point.
0: I am down 300 on the ledger as we go into week number two. I'm spreading around a little bit more. i got a little bit more. Games on, you know, I like to have a full menu on uh, on my betting window, and that's what I did this week. I'm going to start, in fact, with two big games this week. Our, our national game that we're both going to pick this week is the LSU game at Texas. Five and a half is the number LSU favorite there. I'm also going to do that Clemson-Texas A&M game. Fifty bucks, though, on both of these games. They're the national games. I'm going to go with the dogs in each of them, though. Going to grab Texas in the five and a half. There's the Tom Herman theory. And the number that is out there, him as an underdog, how good he is, been in this spot in Texas A&M. Their schedule is incredibly difficult. They have to play the number two, number, number one, number two, and number three ranked teams this year, plus a couple other ranked teams. But I think A&M is continuing to improve. Really like Kellen so I'm going to go with both dogs in this one. Texas plus five and a half for 50 bucks, and 50 bucks on Texas A&M plus 18 in the hook.
1: Well, the kiss of death is officially on, Trent, because uh, I like both those those two underdogs as well. Uh, I, I'm not putting any money or anything on Texas A&M, but I, I agree with you. I think 17.5 is, is, is too high. Also, the, the Tom Herman theory, I think uh, he will have them ready to play in a, in a big game. I, I truly don't understand why they are 5.5 point underdogs at home. So uh, I'll, I'll put 100 on that one at plus 5.5. I'll, I'll stay away from Texas A&M, but I agree with your analysis. So, uh Give me 100 on Texas a and My other two uh, non-Iowa bets are uh, two teams that uh, underperformed or, or failed in week one, and I always like to uh, do some bounce back bets in week two. So first of all, uh, give me $200 on the Tennessee Volunteers chart. Ooh, uh, They were the, w- the biggest disappointment of week one. They get to come home, or they get to be at home against BYU. They're only three-point favorites. BYU is not a good football team. I don't know if you watched them. They be, I did. Um, Utah, Utah just destroyed them on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Uh, BYU is not good. And so uh, Tennessee will get right this week. They will uh, cover easily, I believe, and beat BYU by by double digits. So give me $200 on the, on the vault minus three. The other team I don't think is a good football team, but somehow uh, won, is the Nevada Wolfpack. I don't know if you watched that game against Purdue. But, I did. Uh, Purdue just handed them that football game. I don't think is very good. They've got a freshman quarterback. they got to go to an angry Oregon team who's uh, going to want to send a message after blowing uh, their big opportunity. 23-and-a-half uh, is not enough. Give me a, give me the Ducks at 23-and-a-half for another 100. So uh, Oregon minus 23-and-a-half for 100. Tennessee minus three for 200. Uh, and Texas plus 5.5 for 100, and I'll save the rest for the Hawks. We can we can chat on that one
0: last. Uh, a couple other single plays that I have this week. Really like Florida State, speaking of blowing games, blew a huge one. Louisiana Monroe comes in, who's okay. I think, though, Florida State is going to bounce back and play inspired like they did in the first half of the full game here, Land three touchdowns with them. The other one, this has been a game that have been bandied about a lot during the summertime is, well, for me, trying to kill segments during the summer and trying to talk college football, and find some different angles. Army, after their first 10-win season in in decades, coming off that season from a year ago, going to the big house in Michigan. We saw Army last year take Oklahoma to the brink. 22-and-a-half is the number. I had some money on Army on the under in week one, so I watched a little bit of the game. They're awful. That, That team is absolutely brutal offensively. Michigan has been preparing for the triple option. I don't see Army scoring in this game. 22-and-a-half might feel like a big number for a team, an Army that won double-digit games next year. Don't fall into the trap here. Give me Michigan. I'll lay the big number. So a couple of big favorites, something I don't like to do, Biz, each for $100, bucks. i am going to go with Michigan and Florida State, both laying uh, three touchdowns for Florida State and just over for Michigan. You don't
1: see a repeat of the uh, Army-Oklahoma battle last
0: year? I do not. Watching that Army offense against Rice, that's not going to happen. One other I got a $100 teaser here, six-point teaser, with Michigan State and Maryland, a couple of Big Ten teams. Michigan State, they always have that dud in Week 1. Tulsa last week had negative, what was it, 72 yards rushing in the game, yet still covered the Golden Hurricane did there. We've seen Michigan State, though, make those big leaps in Week number 2. I think that continues against Western Michigan. And the other side, Maryland at home against Syracuse. If you want game day, come to the state of Iowa next week. You're going to be rooting against Syracuse I'll grab Maryland and bump this thing up with the teaser up to nine points. So those are my two picks there in the teaser. Michigan State and Maryland together for 100 bucks.
1: Your weekly teaser, it worked so well for you last week. You decided to, to roll with it again?
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's going to come to fruition. I like the teaser. I like the teaser. You're going to like it this week.
1: Oh, well, it can't be worse than it was last week for you.
0: So. That is true. What do you got on the Hawks?
1: Well, I, to me, this is simple, Trend. <clears throat> Rutgers is a bad football team, and on the road, they are a really bad football team. Uh, last year on the road, the first four games, they lost by 49, 41 to Kansas, 27, and 24. Uh, I just don't think 19 and a half is a high enough number. I, I, I'm still not sold the Hawks are a great team, but I think they are a team that will take care of business against the bad teams, and uh, Rutgers is a bad team, so... Uh, Give me the Hawks 19 and a half, and I'll use my last hundred on
0: it. Last hundred bucks on the Hawks, and uh we are in complete agreement again. We're both going with the Hawkeyes. It worked out last week. We'll try it again here and uh take Iowa laying nearly three touchdowns against Rutgers. Those are our picks for the week, biz. You continue on your track, and, and I gotta get better this week. Time to write the ship. Absolutely. Let's finish up here with Biz's beat. Hey kids, gather around for business beat of the day. Okay, here's business beat of the day.
1: Well, Trent, business beat is, is a fab one this week. And I don't know if you saw how the, my Mets ended their game last night. But uh, Maybe time to just retire my Mets fandom. Uh, the most the most Mets loss ever last night. They uh, score five in the top of the ninth to get up ten to four. And then immediately turn around and give up seven runs in the bottom of night to lose eleven to ten. So I guess my, my question for this week, Trent, is there still room on the on the Minnesota Twins bandwagon?
0: Oh, hop aboard. They can mash and well if you want to watch that pitching staff come playoff time, good luck to you. I don't think you're gonna get a whole lot of enjoyment in the twin fandom, but sure, hop aboard. I mean you you only live by what, two and a half hours away from Minneapolis growing up for your whole life and couldn't jump on then, but we still got room for you.
1: Well, it's just because all all those people up in North Iowa are Twins fans are painfully obnoxious. So uh, <laughs> it's the same reason I'd never be a Cubs fan while in Eastern Iowa, Trent. Uh, you, you can't uh, you can't just be a lemming and follow the crowd. So I'll stick with my mess at least for a little while. But maybe the Twins will be my uh, my, my AL team for a while because uh, they are a fun team to watch. Like you said, they can mash, but they, they don't. They don't seem like they're probably. Uh, built for a warm playoff
0: run. Not at all. Well, if they win a lot of slow-pitch softball games, 14-10, maybe we'll get some positivity. Biz, out of time for this week. We'll do it again next week. We will, well, unfortunately not see you on Saturday, but we'll be texting on Saturday.
1: You still haven't gotten the green light to, uh, to come to Kinnick yet?
0: Penn State. Penn State will be my one, hopefully not only appearance, but Penn State, I already have the thumbs up for that one.
1: Hey, so this is the easy time. The first the first few weeks are when the kid sleeps like 22 hours a, a day. You don't have to. Now is the time to sneak away for a few hours. I'm, Maybe. I'm I sure uh, I, I'm sure Tara would uh, not even notice you're gone if you snuck over and got back on mid afternoon on Saturday.
0: I, I think you know better than that. Maybe me and Ella can make an appearance. We'll, we'll come over and do something like that.
1: Well. Uh, Ella is my, my daughter's favorite tailgate companion, so let me know when she's coming.
0: I, I certainly will, and hopefully she doesn't throw up over everybody like she did two years ago.
1: Well, you, usually uh, that's due to uh, excessive alcohol intake, but I, I I assume or hope that was not your, uh, your daughter's issue.
0: That was not. Absolutely not. She's still got another old 14 years or so before we got to worry about that. Biz, we'll talk next week.
1: All right, go Hawks.